worship you and honor you and long to hear from you. So I pray together this morning that you would speak to our hearts and communicate something of a personal nature to each one of us, a word in season, a timely word, and we pray that it would encourage our hearts, edify our souls, and just create a capacity for a deeper walk of fellowship with you. Thank you for the songs we have sung together today and the music we've listened to as it prepares us to receive from your spirit. And again, thank you for gathering us on this Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you would uh, open your Bible with me this morning, if you have one with you, to John's Gospel, chapter uh, 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13. And tonight uh, is the, the last game of the season uh, for us with the New York Knicks. <laughs> And I say thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, it's been a long season. It started the end of October last year. It's finishing up now. And uh, once again, no postseason, no playoffs for the Knicks. Um, so, and I don't think that that's going to change until they make me the general manager. Okay? I want, I want a dual role, general manager slash chaplain. When that happens, we'll see the turnaround. Till then... Don't hold your breath. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You could be my assistant general manager. <laughs> um, Pastor Chris, believe it or not, he actually texted me this morning and said, hey, any possibility you can do some of those impersonations that you used to do a long time ago, years ago? And he asked for one in particular, you know, a former president. How many of you remember Ronald Reagan? Good president, right? Oh, what do what, what I think? Everybody Democrat here? Or what, what's Great, the president. Great president, thank you. I mean, I think he was. I think he, he, he helped the United States uh, kind of get back on track. But everybody remembers him. Most of you do. That is, if you're not uh, over, well, never mind. We won't do ages. But the point, did, didn't he sound a little bit like this? Well, I'm so thrilled to be here with you this morning, which is really quite a miracle because I've been dead now for a long time. I take my, my hat off to the people of Hatboro, and uh, Nancy would be here, but as you know, she died too. But, uh, no, that's uh, one president. Remember, um, how many remember Bill Clinton as president, right? I did know, not know that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. I don't know who she is. I never saw her before, and I've never lied. <laughs> Right? How about, remember Richard Nixon? Let me make one thing perfectly clear. I'm not a crook. I've never told a lie. Oh no, we're being recorded. Thank you. Um, and then, of course, all the kids remember Kermit the Frog. This is our Kermit T. Frog here today, preaching from the Bible. Oh, Kermit, I love the Bible. <laughs> and how many of you go way back? Do you remember the great sportscaster, Howard Cosell? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Welcome, sports fans, Howard Cosell. We are here to fight Frazier Muhammad Ali. 
Frasier goes down. Down goes Frasier. Down goes Frasier. Some of you remember that. Okay, that's enough of that madness. Oh, I know. Yeah, well, you'd like me to do the whole message as Kermit the Frog, right? Yeah. That's not going to happen. Okay. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, John's Gospel, chapter 13. I'm going to begin reading verse 1. Now, therefore, the feast of the Passover was at hand. Jesus knew his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world. I like this. It says he loved them unto the end. That's Jesus, amen? Amen. That's how he loves. He loves us to the end. Okay? He doesn't find out something about us in the middle and say, hmm, didn't see that coming. Right? Amen. You know, didn't know that they were quite like that. He loves the ones that he loves unto the very end. And it says, in supper being ended in verse 2, and the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was from God, had come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper. He laid aside his garments, took a towel, and he girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, to wash them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, If I wash thee not, you have no part with me. What a, what a powerful statement that is. You can't have anything to do with Jesus unless you let him wash you, mm. cleanse you, Amen. forgive you, redeem you. You can't. Peter said, you know, he had that false humility. Oh, you will know, you can't do that. I'm not going to let you do that. He said, well, then we're not going to have a relationship. There are people in this world that say, I acknowledge Jesus. I acknowledge that he existed. I acknowledged him historically, but he's not going to wash me. He's not going to cleanse me. And Jesus says, you will have nothing to do with me. Simon Peter said, well, Lord, if that's the case, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Amen. Jesus said to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. You know, this washing of the disciples' feet comes after the disciples previously, prior to this, they had an, an argument. They were having a disagreement. And you know what it was? The disagreement that they were having amongst themselves was, who is the greatest? <laughs> who is the greatest? You just imagine them, you know, bantering and arguing back and forth. No, I think I'm the greatest. You know, Peter could say, well, you know, I've been kind of leading the group up to this point. I think probably I'm the greatest, Right? John and James are probably thinking to themselves, well, our mother recently went to Jesus and she went to bat for us. 
She asked if when he establishes his kingdom, if we could sit one on the right hand, one on the left hand, I think we are the greatest. (laughs) And don't tell my brother, I think I'm greater than him. I mean, this is the argument. They're arguing over which one of them is the greatest, and Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. What a contrast between the heart of man seeking glory and honor and Jesus laying aside his glory and honor and laying down his life so that people could be saved, forgiven, cleansed. And you know, in Palestine at this time, everybody walked around, sandals on, their feet would be absolutely filthy because as they walked through the streets of Palestine, you know, they walked through grime and dirt and everything else you can imagine. And that was one of the first things that would happen. They would wash your feet when you would come into their home. But the feet here, as dirty as they were, typified something even more filthy. Jesus really wasn't interested in washing their feet, although he did that. It was a picture of him doing what only he can do for us, and that is he wanted to wash their hearts. Because that's the filthiest part of who we are. Not our feet. I mean, nobody likes feet. You wouldn't want to see mine. I wouldn't want to see yours. Although I think the women have a distinct advantage. They have their feet done. What do they call it? Pedicure. Thank you. They have their feet done. They don't do anything to my feet. And if you saw them, you would be revolted, I'm sure. And wash them? No, not a chance. Not even thinking about it. And look at what Jesus is doing. He begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And think about this. Being God, which he was, he also would know that those 24 feet within hours would make tracks and run away from him. It's almost as if Jesus was sending them a message. Because you know what happens when we fail? You know what happens when we falter? You know what happens when we sin? What's the first thing? You know what we do? We drop our heads. Just kind of go like this. And as every one of those disciples would do that, they would look down at their feet, which he just washed. Almost a message sent to his disciples. I knew you were going to run away. I knew you were going to hide out of fear. I knew that you would all forsake me. And I've already forgiven you. I've already cleansed you. And those disciples walked away out of that room that night like you and I walk away having received the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. How is that? We walk away forgiven. We walk through life with wet feet. Wet feet. What does it represent? The forgiveness that is ours. The cleansing that we have experienced. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 talks about the forgiveness of sins. After having been accepted in the son of his love in Ephesians 1 6, we receive the forgiveness of sins. And I mean when God forgives, he does so past, present, and future. Completely so. He's not forgiving some sins, he's forgiving all sins. 
wet feet. That's how we walk through life. And then turn in your Bible with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Every one of us remembers this prayer. It's the Lord, they call it the Lord's Prayer. I prayed it as a young person. Growing up in a, with a Catholic background, I think I prayed it hundreds of thousands of times. Amen. Because it was something that we had to pray for penance, for the forgiveness of sins. And as many sins as I committed as a young person, I said this prayer. I think I should have just recorded it and just left it on the altar. So that it would just run continuously. Because there's a lot of sin in my life. I don't think I could have ever atoned for a, a single one of them. And of course we now know that we couldn't and we didn't. But it was what he did for us that cleanses us from our sins. But look at in this prayer, and, and Jesus instructed his disciples to pray this way, and he said, you know, uh, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, verse 9, chapter 6, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And, and notice verse 12, and forgive us our debts Amen. as we forgive our debtors. Wow. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We have to ask ourselves a question tonight. Have we forgiven our debtors? Amen. I mean, in, internally, in our hearts. Because there is no sadder way to go through life than to go through life with an unforgiving spirit. And what a tragedy that would be for God's children, the believers, the body of Christ, his church, to go through life having been completely and utterly forgiven and cleansed. I mean, think about it. God says, I have cast your sins, my sins, behind my back. You know what happens when you cast something behind your back? You don't see it. God doesn't see our sin. It says that he has buried our sins and cast them into the depths of the deepest sea. Micah chapter 7. And I, I'm so happy to have found out that some parts of the ocean are seven miles deep. I like to think that that's where my sins are. And I think God along with that, he posts a little sign, no fishing. Don't go looking for them. Don't try, to, don't try to seek them out. Don't try to find them. Don't rehearse them. Don't remember them. Don't think about them. Let them go because God has. And then what does it say in Psalm 103 verse 12? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. The east goes in that direction forever. The west goes in another direction forever. And they never meet again. What is God saying? You will never again meet up with your sins. They're gone. You know, God is so good and so precise. For had he said that as far as the north is from the south, so far have I removed your sins from you. Do you know that the north and the south meet again? Yeah. You go all the way to the north, you get to the North Pole. When you reach that point, you keep going, you, get, you start going south. You can meet, the North Pole and the South Pole meet 
What if God said as far as the north is from the south so far, then we would be met again with our sins. But he says, no, as far as the east is from the west, and they never meet again. God's trying to send us a message. I have forgiven you of your sins. I have cleansed you of your sins. My son's blood, which is not like any other person's blood, has the power to cleanse you and make you acceptable in my sight. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. Wow. We need to, that needs to be internalized. That needs to be crystallized in our souls. We need to think about the forgiveness of sins often. We need to remember that God forgave us like the Mount Everest of sin. We need to remember that you and I were big debtors in the sight of God. Amen. Not little debtors. I, I, you know, you meet people and they say, well, yeah, maybe I've done a couple of things wrong. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, maybe I've, you know, I've gotten off the path, the narrow road. I've stepped off the narrow road from time to... Listen, <laughs> we, we, when we were born, we fell off the narrow road. <laughs> when we got started in life, we came out of the womb saying... Who, who can I meet that will teach me how to sin? In fact, if we didn't meet anybody, we would have learned it anyhow ourselves. You just watch a young person. Take a baby, and you don't have to teach a baby. Say, I'm going to teach you how to be selfish. They learn it naturally. Just comes naturally. Pride. Nobody had to teach us to be proud. We just learned it. Nobody had to teach us to lie. We just kind of picked it up. Because we're born into this world with an old sin nature. And we come out of the womb, sin machines. <laughs> it's how we operate. But it's all right, because the greatest news that the sinner will ever hear is that there is a Savior. Amen. And it's Jesus. Amen. And he came into the world specifically to redeem sinners' lives. Amen. He did that for us. And so then he asks us this question. Having been the recipient of my amazing grace, have you forgiven your debtors? If we haven't, you know what we're going to end up doing in life? We're going to spend a lot of time demanding payment from them. Let me illustrate it for you. Think about it. It just comes down to this. Does somebody owe you something? Somebody owe you an apology that you have not gotten yet? Somebody owe you a second chance in life? Somebody owe you a fresh start? How about this one? Somebody owe you an explanation? Mm. Amen. Mm. How about this? Here's a good one. Does somebody owe you a thank you? I'm still wow. waiting for them to say thank you. Amen. What have they become in your heart? A debtor. A debtor. I know what that's like. You know, you wait for somebody to say thank you. You know, you, I, you just kind of, the other day, you know, walking into the local gas station, the Wawa, the convenience store, and, you know, I walk through, and I look behind me, and there's a person behind me. Oh, they're maybe 20 yards behind me. And I'm just thinking, well, they, they, can, they look pretty healthy. They could open the door. And I said, no, 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 wait. Just hold the door. So I hold the door, and I wait, and and sometimes when people see you do that, they kind of pick up the pace a little bit. And they say, oh, thank you, thank you. But sometimes they just kind of walk by. You're like, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. And you're just going. So I usually do it for them. You know, if they don't say that, I go, thank you. <laughs> Hoping to put a little conviction into your life. 
Really, what I'm trying to say is, I just held the door for you. I'm a pretty busy guy myself. I got to get in here, and I got kids in the car, and I got a lot to do. But I held the door for you, and you owe me a thank you. <laughs> sometimes it gets more serious. Maybe, maybe sometimes we think about our parents, and we think, you owe me a childhood. I didn't get it. I was robbed of it. Some people could say, you owe me a marriage. I've never quite had it. You know, you can make a long list of people who are in your debt. We all could. We could say things like, you know, my parents should have been more protective. And then that traumatic thing that happened to me would not have happened to me. Or our children should have been more appreciative. I mean, we worked so hard and we provided for them every step of the way and every time there was a need, we met it and it cost us something and, and we made sacrifice after sacrifice and there was never any appreciation. Your spouse, oh, they could be more sensitive. Even sometimes we can say, my pastor, he should be more attentive to me. Doesn't seem to have time for me. Doesn't seem to care. Don't think he likes me. But let me ask you a question. What are we going to do with those with whom you are in debt to? It should mean a lot to us because it means a lot to God. Amen. Right? Lord, forgive us our debts. And then we in turn will forgive our debtors. It's almost as if grace received comes with it, this responsibility to distribute that grace. You know, forgiveness received comes a responsibility with it to share that forgiveness. Love that's received comes with it a responsibility to share that love. Mercy that's received and accepted means we turn around and we give others mercy. I realize more than any of us here that you cannot give what you haven't received, so let's learn to be good receivers of the grace of God, of the mercy of God, of the forgiveness of God, and the love of God, and then we'll have a lot to give other people. A lot to give other people. It's almost as if Jesus here in the this Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew's Gospel. It's, it's, he's reminding us of, of the grace that he's given us. And then he speaks to our hearts about the grace that we have to give. And, you know, I, I, maybe you heard this story. It happened many years ago, but it was a woman by the name of Victoria Rivolo. She was driving home one night on Long Island, New York. And as she was driving home, these, these young, three young boys, they went into a grocery store and they stole a number of items from the grocery store. One of the things they stole, strangely enough, was a frozen turkey, about 19 or 20 pounds. Victoria Ruvola was driving home from her niece's recital on this night. These boys decided to have some fun, so they took the frozen turkey and they threw it out the window. It came through the windshield of her car, crushed her face, almost killed her. She experienced surgery after surgery after surgery. The boys, they went on their merry way, laughing, having a good time. Nine months after that disastrous December night, she stood face to face 
with the boy who threw out that frozen turkey in a courtroom. His name was Ryan Cushing. He was no longer a cocky young man, you know, riding around in his Nissan. He was trembling, he was tearful, and he was apologetic. This happened, by the way, this courtroom scene in New York City. And people had looked at these young boys and they kind of symbolized their generation, a generation out of control, totally irresponsible. People packed the courtroom to see him get what he deserved. The judge's sentence enraged everyone in that courtroom. He simply said he will serve six months behind bars, five years probation, some counseling, and some public service. There was an outrage in the courtroom. It erupted. Everyone objected. Everyone except Victoria Rubolo. The reduced sentence was her idea. The boy walked over. She embraced him in full view of the judge and the crowd in the courtroom. She held him tight. She stroked his hair. He sobbed. And she said these words to him. I forgive you. I want your life to be the best it can be. Wow. The papers in New York, the headline simply read, A Moment of Grace. She allowed grace to shape her response. And she said, God gave me a second chance at life. And I wanted to pass it on. She said, if I hadn't let it go, if I didn't release that anger, she said, I'd be consumed for the need of revenge. She said, forgiving him helps me to move on. Wow. What happened to her that night has kind of led to her mission in life. She works with the county probation department. She says, I'm trying to help others. But I know for the rest of my life, people, she said jokingly, people will know me as the turkey lady. She said, it could have been worse. They could have thrown a ham and I'd be known as Miss Piggy. She had a pretty good sense of humor. Do you know what she did that day in that courtroom? She filled a basin with not water, but grace. Washed his feet, washed his heart, cleansed his conscience, forgave him, and set him free. Amen. The very thing that God asks us to do. Amen. So that we can move on. So that other people can move on. Some people say, I cannot forgive because you don't understand and you don't know what they did to me. And you'd be right. I don't. Others in the room, we don't. But we do know what Christ did for you. Amen. And if you keep looking at what they did to you, and you cannot lift your eyes off, off of the, the debt that they have brought into your life, the pain that they've brought into your life, the suffering they've brought into your life, if you can't look away from what they did to you and look at what Christ did for you, you cannot find a capacity to forgive. And God knows we must. 
if our lives are going to be enriched, if our lives are going to be full, if our lives are going to be free. You know, Jesus doesn't doubt your wounds. He doesn't doubt your pain or what has happened to you because of others. The issue isn't the existence of pain. It's the treatment of it. Are we going to allow what somebody did to us, how they wounded us, hurt us, offended us, broke our hearts, ruined our future, or so it would seem? Or are we going to turn to the one who can take the broken pieces of our lives and by his grace put them back together? It's how we move on. It's what Jesus said we must learn to do. What are we going to do with our debtors? What a good question. I say we forgive them. I say we cut them loose. Amen. Do you remember the story of the woman? You know, she, she started the, uh, that, that program. It was called MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. And of course, why did she start that program? Because a drunk driver killed her daughter. And she fueled that program. And she grew that program in a nationwide level. And I think it's gone internationally. And what he did to her daughter kept her going, kept her going, until finally she reached a point in her life several years ago where she heard the gospel and she realized that she had been, you know, just fueling this program and, and, and making sure that other people became mad enough to do something about it, to stop the drunk driving and to keep people from being, you know, inebriated and getting behind the wheel of a car. And finally she just changed everything. She went to the prison to visit the man who took the life of her daughter, and she said, I forgive you. Amen. And you know what she did? She resigned as the founder and the president of MAD. Wow. And of course, the media right away, they said, why did you do it? You know what her response was? I'm not mad anymore. <laughs> How about that? I'm not mad anymore. She forgave, and she could move on just like Christ wants us to. And I just want to close this morning. I want to read this story to you. You're familiar with this because it didn't happen too far from here. It was October 2nd, 2006. About 10 a.m. in the morning, a man by the name of Charles Carl Roberts entered the West Nickel Mines Amish School in Pennsylvania, carried a 9-millimeter handgun, 12-gauge shotgun, a rifle, bag of black powder, two knives, tools, a stun gun, 600 rounds of ammunition, wire and plastic ties. Using plastic flex ties, he bound 11 girls ages 6 to 15. As he prepared to shoot them, Marion Fisher, a 13-year-old girl, stepped forward and said, Shoot me first. Her younger sister, Barbie, allegedly asked Roberts to shoot her second. He shot ten girls. He then killed himself. Three of the girls died immediately. Two others died in the hospital by the next morning. The tragedy stunned the nation. But what stunned the nation even more was the forgiveness of the Amish community. More than half the people who attended Roberts' funeral, the murderer, were Amish. An Amish midwife who had helped birth several of the girls murdered by the killer made plans to take food to his family's house. 
She said, this is possible if you have Christ in your heart. Amen. Wow. Do we have wet feet or not? Amen. Have we been forgiven or not? And if we have, we can forgive our debtors. And I want to encourage you that if you have anybody on that kind of a list, if you have a list of debtors, people that owe you the apology, the thank you, the childhood, the explanation, the marriage, whatever it may be, by the grace of God, cross them off that list. Cross every one of them off that list until you don't have a list any longer. Because the grace of God is flooding your heart. Mercy is reigning. Forgiveness has done its job. There are no little debtors in the church. Only big debtors. And you know what? Remember the story of those, of, that Jesus told to Simon in his home? He welcomed Jesus into his home. He was a religious man. He threw this great party for Jesus, but really didn't honor him. Then a woman came in, crashed the party. She was a streetwalker, a prostitute. She did for Jesus what Simon did not do for Jesus. She washed his feet, washed his feet anointed him with oil, dried his feet with her hair. All the while, Jesus is looking at Simon. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? And he said, yeah, I see her. And I know what she's like, too. Jesus said, you know, it was a man, two men. They both owed money. One man owed a lot of money. He was a great big debtor. Then there was another man who didn't owe so much money. Little debt. He was a little debtor. But the man to whom they owed money, he made a declaration. He said to the both of them, he says, you're both forgiven. You're both off the hook. I forgive you of your debt. He said, Simon, let me ask you a question. To whom do you suppose was more grateful? To whom do you suppose loved him the most? He said, I suppose the one that had the greater debt. And he said, you have answered rightly. Amen. This woman, I know you, you threw the party. She crashed the party. Amen. Her debt is greater. And because she has been forgiven much, she loves much. Amen. And you know where that verse is found? It's Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 47. You know what that means? That's a 747. <laughs> she walked on to that 747, and that allowed her to soar above her debtors. Amen. Soar above the pain. Amen. Soar above the heartache. Yes. Soar above the trouble. When you are forgiven of much, you love God much. It allows you to live an above quality and kind of life. You recognize who you are in Christ. You're not walking through life as a pauper, but you're reigning in life as a king. Amen. You've been the recipient of mercy. You've been forgiven much, and as a result, you love so much. 
And like Victoria in that courtroom, you can forgive those who did such harm to you. And like that Amish community, they could move on. They could even minister to the family of the man who murdered those children because they understood what life was like when Jesus reigns in your heart. We do too. We've been given great grace. And now we live our lives with this responsibility. Whatever it is that you've received freely, turn around and freely distribute it to others. This might be challenging this morning to some that are on our list as debtors. But again, don't think about what they did to you. Stay focused on what Christ did for you. And then you will find a capacity to release the grace, to release the mercy, to release the love that we have been so freely given. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you this morning because in our hearts, mercy reigns. And in our hearts, mercy rejoices against judgment. It would be so easy for us to walk through life attempting to get even, easy for us to go through life and to seek vengeance. But in the end, it would just become a weight, a burden that would crush us. The only way we can be delivered from being mad, being angry, being hurt, offended, robbed, is by forgiving. Some would say it's not easy. I would say amen, it isn't. But if we open the door to grace and we let that grace flood our hearts, what inevitably comes into our lives is going to come out. Let your grace flow to each one of us, Father. Let your mercy reign in our lives. Let us be occupied with what you did for us at the cross. And then we will have a ministry to those in our lives. Help us to leave our mad moments at the foot of the cross. Help us to leave our bad moments at the foot of the cross. Help us to leave our sad moments at the foot of the cross. Somebody once said that if I do that, I won't have any moments left but good ones. Exactly. Fill our hearts and minds with the good and great thoughts of who you are and what you've done. It's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.